Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. I'm solid to the crack. Never change me and my son of rain. It gets wet when we hang. I'm solid. Could touch the blue part of the flame. The blue part of the flame. And nothing I just want to roll with those. Welcome to Sportsfire. The sports comedy podcast that triples Steph Curry because triples is best. I'm your host, Adam Weinerman. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the COVID test app that caught Jeff Van Gundy's COVID called Ears in a Brain, and tucked in the middle of the commercial break between 15-minute segments about whether Jason Tatum deserves to get his superstar card revoked for losing a finals he hasn't lost yet. Coming up in a bit, fan it's Cody Williams to talk me through the live golf disaster success success-aster. But first, let's take a quick trip through the headlines. Washington Commanders coach Jack Del Rio is fined $100,000 for his comments comparing the January 6th insurrection to the George Floyd protests. Del Rio called the Capitol riots a, quote, dust-up, and later apologized, saying he should have called it a stinger. The Commanders coordinator also apologized for calling the Lincoln assassination a foo-for-all, 9-11 a mix-em-up, and Washington getting blown out in Dallas on Christmas a national day of mourning. The punishment may seem light, but losing that $100,000 is really going to hurt Marjorie Taylor Greene's campaign. Del Rio deleted his Twitter account following the controversy, or as he calls it, one more death you can blame on the BLM movement. Charles Schwartzel won the first ever Live Golf Championship, pocketing $4.75 million, and if he ever says anything controversial, an all-expenses-paid trip to a darkened room. Congratulations to Charles, who finished 7 under, which is one further than where journalists asking questions end up. Tiger Woods reportedly turned down a nine-figure offer from Liv, terrified when the organizers promised they'd cut him a check. Cut him a check. Patrick Reed became the latest golfer to join Liv and the first to join Liv who no one would miss, if you know. The Tampa Bay Lightning will try to three-peat as Stanley Cup champions against the Colorado Avalanche in an ongoing attempt to uncover how many hockey championships in a row you can win before America notices. I I think it's more than three. Be careful, though, because the last time Lightning struck an Avalanche, we got a snow Frankenstein. Lawyers for former Raiders wide receiver Henry Ruggs are trying to block blood evidence from being admissible in court to prove his alcohol level. Said prosecutors, all good, we'll just look at the car. The Baltimore Orioles CEO is being sued by his brother, claiming he stole control of their baseball team. But he hopes to get off on the technicality that the Orioles are not a baseball team. White Sox manager Tony La Russa is under fire for intentionally walking Trey Turner in a 1-2 count, only for his pitcher to allow a home run to the next batter. But what drunk hasn't made a catastrophic mistake with a 2? Or a long drive? Major League Baseball underwent Tommy John surgery this week. The procedure takes 12 to 18 months to recover from, but baseball might just go ahead and call it a day, unless Steph Curry wants to play or something. He does? He, he, he wants to? No, no, that was a prank. We, we got pranked. 
Yankees third baseman Josh Donaldson's one-game ban was upheld on appeal, but his fine was reduced to $5,000. So MLB believes he was racist, but not $10,000 racist. Hey, 5K though. I mean, you can buy a septic tank with that dough. Melvin Gordon says he'll, quote, keep fighting to stay the Broncos' number one running back. All good, dude. You don't really have to. Nobody's watching us, said the other Broncos running backs. And Eagles wide receiver Devin Allen ran the third fastest 110-meter hurdles time ever this weekend. Unfortunately, that only means he'll be further away from the Jalen Hurts underthrows. Allen is excited to head to Philly, where hurdle is just what your roast pork drunk uncle calls a hospital. Coming up in a bit, Cody Williams. But first, a message from White Sox manager, Tony La Russa. Hey, I'm Hall of Famer baseball person, Tony La Russa. You looking for something that'll make your critics shut their big yapper? Then, hey, look no further than Tony LaRusso's one-two punch. It's a vodka. It's a tequila. Hell, it's a whole lot of stuff. And if you're looking to take your mind off all the stuff that's happening, then pull down the blinds on your eyeballs with a glass of one-two punch. Drink so much it'll be tough for you to intentionally walk. Then call yourself a car, goddammit. You drink it out of a skull. My skull! I know that blues brother Dan Aykroyd has a skull vodka, but you can bet your ass that joker doesn't have the balls to make it a mold of his actual skull. I sat in a chair for 16 hours, damn it! I almost missed a dull header against the... Uh, who was it? Yeah, uh, The Twins? Uh, it gotta be the Twins. Yeah, it could have been the Tigers. Uh, ah, the hell with it. It was the gray guys! Look, what the hell do you care, right? It's red, it's goop. You get wasted, then you can take a nap. God... Is there anything better than a nap? Sometimes I do it with my eyes open. Oh, what are they going to do, fire me? They technically could? Yeah, they technically could. And when Costco first approached me about, about bottling the beverage I invented one sleepless night in the middle of game two in Houston, I said, hell no! This is for me! Nobody else gets to have this. And then I really thought about it. And five months later, when I pulled the trigger on my decision, I went back to them and they said, nah, we figured out the recipe without you. It's everything in the liquor cabinet, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Or it was. Now it's gone. God, anybody else smell that? Like, like fumes? Noxious fumes mixed with, with, with like plums? Yeah, I swear this new prescription hair oil they got me using is freaking poison. Yeah, the hair's jet black. You can shine a bowling ball with it, but at what cost? Yeah, at what damn cost? We call it one-two punch. Because it packs a serious punch. And it is punch. Fucking, look at that. So try a sip today. Y'all be hooked around a telephone pole dribbling out the side of your mouth. Telling a cop you have no idea how that viper got back there. Scary snake. One-two punch. It's the easiest one-two decision you'll ever make. I am fired, aren't I? Yeah. All the discourse during NBA Finals month is about Live Golf, the offshoot project of Saudi money that's poaching PGA Tour players. I barely know golf, and I definitely don't know this. So I invited my coworker and golf expert Cody Williams on to talk me through this because I understand why it's dangerous, but I also personally find it very funny that this is a problem. So I figured you might be able to ground me a bit. Cody, what's going on, man? 
Uh, not too much, man. Just trying to balance, you know, the Saudi players and the PGA Tour players going at like cold war with each other at the U.S. Open. So I just uh, I just bought a nice golf polo for the summer to change my look up a little bit. Is that a bad idea for the current times or am I good? Uh, I think you should be safe and just, you know, be careful where you wear it. You know, the right country club, you'll be all right. <laughs> good, good. Uh, OK, so in the simplest terms, um, I mean, again, as a non-golf fan, I can't imagine trying to parse something this complicated. Like, I'm not doing a great job. So put this into terms that I might understand. Who are the people who are joining Liv? Like, are there any massive gets yet? Obviously, I know that Phil Mickelson has been extremely involved, but has he officially joined? And, and like, who else, is, who else am I worried about? So Phil has officially joined. It was kind of the least shocking thing in the world, but it took him forever to officially announce it. <laughs> um, and then outside of that, there have really been only been two big additions. One is Bryson DeChambeau, who is uh, the world's biggest tool. And so, you know, I think a lot of people weren't surprised. The one thing that you have to respect about Bryson is he is the only one of these guys, to my knowledge, who has said, this was a business decision. It was about the money. Everyone else is lying to themselves and saying, oh, you know, we're going to grow the game of golf. Like they played in London last week. Oh, there's not golf in London. You know, like one of the most historic European towns in the world. And then the other big get, quote unquote, is Patrick Reed who is the biggest villain in golf. Like there, there is no one hated more hated in golf than Patrick Reed. And then everyone else that has signed on for the most part is guys who are basically setting a retirement plan. Like they're taking the money because they can't compete on the PGA tour or the European tour anymore. So they're like, Oh, might as well cash a big paycheck. Don't care where the money comes from. You mentioned the locations. Uh, yeah. So the first event was in London and then the, the next one is in Portland, Oregon, is there any rhyme or reason to these? I mean, why why were those number one and two? Why go to Portland in the first place? And, and like you said, like who's who in England is discovering golf for the first time via the Saudi tour? I mean, it's abs- there is no rhyme or reason. The, I mean, if you want an actual rhyme or reason, it's the fact that the PGA Tour doesn't go to a lot of these places. And that's the simplest thing that you can say. Like PGA Tour fans have been calling for uh, the tour to go to the Pacific Northwest for a while. And so they're trying to take advantage of that. But people in Portland have golf. Like, they know what golf is. There's some of the best courses in America are in Oregon. Like, this isn't new. And so they're using this grow the game and trying to spread golf to fans. They're using that as a guise for, you know, basically the sports washing that is going on, trying to, you know, say, oh, the Saudi government isn't that bad. Look, we have golf. And here we are. So I know it's being funded by, by the Saudis because how could I not know that? But it, like, is there a reason beyond trying to whitewash the Saudi government? Like wh- why else would you do, or is it purely just a play to say like, like you just said, we have, we have golf. How could we be that bad? We're golf guys. Uh, it's so it's partially that the other interesting factor is the fact that Greg Norman, you know, the legendary Australian golfer, mm-hmm. he is the CEO of live golf. And he is getting his money from the Saudi government. And that's how it's being funded. And Greg Norman has been trying to break off from the PGA Tour for like 30 years. Like he he attempted something back in the 80s. I don't know the details of that because, you know, I was born in 1991. It was before my time. However, um, he tried to break off from the PGA Tour back then. And he was unsuccessful because he didn't have the funding. Now he has the funding. And so you have someone who just has a vendetta against the PGA Tour who is now trying, who now has the funds to do it 
and you know whether or not he's doing it well is remains to be seen (laughs) it sounds like a job opportunity that crosses your linkedin where you're like briefly intrigued you're like oh ceo like that's obviously a high ranking position and then you scan it and you're like oh no never mind it's being financed by the saudis but greg norman has no problem with that he's just like yeah uh, yeah doing multiple multiple interviews yeah whatever it takes i don't care yeah uh who do i have to talk to um so it's something we can't really know now uh, just because it's so early. But let's say, I mean, of course, there's going to be some punishment for anybody who eventually ping pongs, right? Like, uh, unless I'm, so what's like the expected punishment if anybody tries to come back? Like, are these people already permanently banned from the PGA Tour or, or what's the situation? So the word permanent has not been used, but they are all suspended if they left <laughs> the PGA Tour. Some of them have resigned to try and protect themselves and their status for major championships. So the PGA tour can't be like, Hey, you're suspended. You can't play in this major, or this major, because your PGA tour credentials don't matter anymore. So they've resigned from the PGA tour. Um, what's interesting is, is all of the major championships are run by organizations that are not the PGA tour. Mm-hmm. And so they make their own decisions about who they let in. And that's why all the live golf guys are playing in the U S open this year. However, the USGA CEO, the USGA runs the US Open, he came out today and basically insinuated that next year these guys might not be allowed in the US Open. He was asked about it. And like when they released a statement saying that they were going to play this year, it was very clear that they were talking about the 2022 US Open. And then he was asked about 2023 and he said, yes, there is a possibility that they might not be allowed to play. So it's very much up in the air. But as far as right now, they're not going to be allowed to ping pong. The only thing they can play is the Live Golf has um, a loose partnership with the Asian Tour, which is, you know, an offshoot of the European Tour to a degree. But it is, I mean, it doesn't have nearly prestige of PGA Tour or European Tour. Okay, so this is all making a lot more sense to me because I wasn't even sure if, they were uh, compete like I was I didn't understand why they were allowed to compete in these majors but not the the smaller events and now I get it um again you're talking to a novice you're doing you're doing a service here and I I very much appreciate it um but this is you're right this is U.S. Open week in in Brookline Mass beautiful Brookline and I feel like um I expect to see some fracturing here and and you were talking to me a little bit about how there there has been sort of these you know, very strong two camps. Although I did see like a standing ovation for Phil yesterday. And I was like, come on, man, what, what is that? <laughs> yeah. So the thing is, is fans online are going to talk, you know, about how bad live golf is and about how much they hate these guys. But you watch any golf event, even like, you know, Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Reed, like two hated guys when they're on the, when they were on the PGA tour, there's no booing in golf. People don't get booed in golf. And Phil Mickelson's such a historic figure in golf, which is one of the reasons why it's so disappointing that he's going to this Live Golf League, is, I mean, you know, he's going to get an ovation. However, when you look at the quotes from his peers, that's the stuff that's really interesting because you have Rory McIlroy coming out and saying things like, you know, when I won on the uh, when I won in Canada last week, that meant something. What they played for in Live Golf meant nothing. And then you have someone like John Rahm saying, you know. I could have $400 million to go uh, in my bank account to go play over there, but I don't play for that. And then you have other uh, I saw a story that Jordan Spieth went over and was talking to a group that was playing their practice round. And it had one guy who's still on the PGA tour and two guys who are on the live golf tour. He greeted and congratulated the dude who's still on the PGA tour for his recent win. 
And then the other dude says, hey, the other two dudes said, hey, and he walked right by them and didn't say a word to them. So, I mean, there is definitely a fracturing going on and it's both sad for golf, but hilarious from an outside perspective. Yeah. Again, I, I mean, I don't want to be laughing after every answer that you give, but I don't want to find this as funny as I do, but I still do find it funny. I mean, it's, it's obviously dangerous to be taking Saudi money just to be competing in this sort of weird sham event, but it's also hilarious that, um, the, the amount of morals that these people are willing to overlook, we all know it's no secret. It's, a, it's not, nobody had to be the Woodward and Bernstein and like uncover that Saudis were behind this. Everybody was just like, oh no, it's the Saudi thing. Like we're good. Yeah, we know what that is. Um, which makes me wonder. So, you know, obviously there's, there's not going to be a, there's not gonna be, I can't even get through this. There's not going to be like a Saudi MLB or a Saudi NBA, but like you do wonder if this could like, do you think this could theoretically happen in other sports? Cause you look at, I, I'm just going to pause it. You look at tennis um, and I guess knowing what I know now about the, the majors and how those are run, I guess, you know, it's a different situation, but you look at tennis, the new world. Number one is, is Daniil Medvedev who's Russian and is banned from Wimbledon. Plus Novak Djokovic is crazy and Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer are on their way out. So like the old guard guys who you think would speak against us are maybe on the verge of retirement. So is this mess unique to golf specifically, or are these other sports maybe, uh, you know, up for the poaching you think? So I think what makes this unique to golf is that though all these guys are, were or are members of the PGA tour, they're essentially independent contractors. And so that's what makes it different. Like you sign a contract with the NBA, you sign a contract with MLB. You're like, you know, once that contract's up, you can go play wherever you want, hmm. but you are locked into that league. You can't just defect to another league at that point. And so the independent contractor aspect is what makes all of this possible. And so I don't, and tennis, I'm not, well adept at so i can't really speak to that but i mean i feel you know with the wta and atp like i feel like you know the way that those two organizations work and the way they run most of everything in tennis i feel like it would have to be similar to live golf but i don't think it would have the same legs to it because it's just different run organizations and like you still you wouldn't be able to play the majors in those yeah in that scenario yeah i think that's the main difference that's that's the thing that i wasn't wrapping my head around um so this like so the first event goes off in london without a hitch uh no notes perfect execution um would <laughs> would insiders call this a success like we're so we're all talking about it but i had to google who charles schwartzel won the the live golf and like nobody's congratulating him so is this do you think the live golf people are viewing this as a success or is this just a disaster from both sides right now uh i think one of the things so i think it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that, honestly. It's hard to say. It's not a, it's a gray area, definitely. Um, so I think it's a success in that, you know, it did go off relatively smooth, smoothly, smoother than I thought it was going to. I thought it was going to be an unmitigated disaster, frankly. Like I thought that the coverage was going to suck. I thought that there was just going to be no organization. And the coverage itself was actually pretty good. But the big problem they have is the golf was terrible. Like, <laughs> The golf was absolutely terrible. <laughs> a guy finished, a guy did not break 75 for the entire week and he won $120,000. And like he shot something that I could go out there and shoot. Like 
that's not going to – and, like, yeah, they're going to get more guys and maybe the talent pool will get deeper, but they still don't have a, the majority of the top players in the world. So the golf is never going to be good, and that's the biggest problem they have is, you know, if these guys were playing for something meaningful and they were, you know, a little bit lesser guys. Like, I watch the U.S. Amateur every year. I don't know those guys. I don't watch a lot of college golf, but I watch it every year because it means something. There's such history in the U.S. Amateur. And – you know, you have to have one or the other, and they don't have either right now. And so looking at it from that perspective, and when you look at the coverage numbers from, like, like everyone tuned in on Thursday to watch the first round out of curiosity, then Friday comes around and the viewership's cut in half. And then Saturday comes around and the viewership's cut in half again. And so the curiosity factor is has worn off, and now you have to wonder if that, like, it's all gone and that's all they have to begin with. I know that you, you tell me you sort of post up during major weeks and you're, you know, you're sitting this whole weekend watching the open. Did you sit down and watch this whole thing? Or were you one of the people who peeled off after day one? Like, I can't take any more of this. Uh, I kept tuning in. Like I did not tune in uh, continuously is the best way I can say it. Mm -hmm. I would check in on it, see what the leaderboard leaderboard looked like, see that I didn't even know who five of the guys in the top 10 were. And I would be like, all right, cool. I'm like, I'm a pretty big golf fan. And if I don't know these guys, like that says a lot about where this tournament's going. (laughs) Are there, do you think we're still in like a period where we have to be nervous about big name defections or do you think the biggest names have already jumped? Are there any others that maybe you could see joining the tour? Like, like a Deshaun Watson, for example. Like a Deshaun Watson. You know, like disgraced athletes might join the Live Golf Tour. We, we just don't know. I mean, you know, you can't ever count out Deshaun Watson at this point. But there are actually some, like the rumor mill is still, you know, turning crazily. Uh, there's like guys like Xander Shoffley, who, you know, is a big name and has competed in majors, not won one, but he's competed in majors. He's been rumored. Um, there, there are rumors that Colin Morikawa, they're not as strong as Xander Shoffley, but Colin Morikawa could go. There were rumors that Victor Hovland, another young guy, could go. And he yesterday, actually, he uh, spoke to a Norwegian newspaper and said, I'm not going. So that shuts that down. So I think we're going to see it less frequently. And I think we're going to see a lot more of the older veteran guys still defect. But, I mean, that's not going to move the needle. Like one of the most recent ones was a guy named Pat Perez, who you as a novice got fan, you might not know who that is. No. And that's because he's not very good. He hasn't been very good in a while. And the only reason that made headlines is because his wife went on Instagram and released the most obnoxious 90 second video I've ever seen in my life talking about how the new tour was going to be iconic. And it was absolutely terrible. And he got $10 million. And so to go over there. And so when you have someone at that level, you like, there are going to be more veteran guys who are swayed by the money, but in terms of big names, I would not maybe one or two defects, but I don't see many more going. Cody, you have done your job in explaining this to me, but you have not done your job in making it not very funny. Unfortunately, I still think it's very <laughs> funny. Um, I'll let you go on this so that we could just talk about real golf. Uh, open, obviously you're ready. I know you got your insider picks everywhere, but for those listening, who do you have winning this thing? I can't look away from Rory McIlroy, man. The one thing, he hasn't won a major since 2014, and that's the big narrative going into every major. But what I saw last week and what he's saying in the press shows everything that's been missing. He's the most talented golfer in the world, and I don't anyone who debates that, I will fight them because they're <laughs> wrong. And 
he's the most talented golfer in the world, but what's been lacking is that fire. You know, he had so much success early that it seemed to take away, you know, that competitive edge. It's the Rocky three corollary. You know, you don't have the, you don't have the eye of the tiger anymore. You got to find it. And this live golf thing seems to have motivated him in a way that we haven't seen him. Like he's got the bounce in his step and he's got, you know, he has something to play for. He wants to just stick it to all of these guys. And when he's in that mode, there's no stopping him. And so I'm, I'm all in on Rory this week. Dig it. I'm thinking about me as a complete novice taking you up on your offer and trying to debate you on whether Rory is the best player now. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I'm out. Um, Cody Williams, thank you so much, man. And uh, I'll check back in with you after the Open and see how much money you won. Sounds good, man. I appreciate you having me. Cody Williams, everybody. Nobody nobody give this to the Saudis. I'm, it's, God, it's very, very, very funny for now. For now, it's very funny. And now, my final flame. This year's NBA Finals have been dominated by impressive shot making. But enough about White Sox manager Tony La Russa and his alcoholic skull gasoline. The only difference between what we expected and what we got is that the shots aren't falling from the typical sources. Warriors legend Steph Curry entered this series looking to cement his status among the top 10 all-time. If not the top 5, top 4, Top 3, Top 2, or even Top 2. And yet, 5 games in, he's being outshined by Andrew Wiggins, except in Game 1, Game 3, Game 4, and most of Game 2. So, where does this great debate sit now? Is there a chance Steph earns MVP honors even if the Warriors ultimately lose the finals? What if they win? Could he earn MVP honors then? What if they lose, he quits, Wiggins quits, and Adam Silver breaks out of COVID protocol early to breathe all over Nemanja Bielica? How about this brain buster? Curry fails to overcome his sudden shyness around three-pointers after going over in Game 5, but instead shoots 84 twos, draining 74 of them. Is he MVP then? Is the game even allowed to continue? Boston may be the better team, but Curry is the better step. Say what you will about the Celtics stars and Curry's inconsistency, but he's shown up the same number of times as Tatum and Brown. Six times, once for each game. And with plenty of time at the arena beforehand to enjoy a nice hearty soup, or a sweet chilled soup. Now, as the finals reach their inevitable conclusion, a loud horn, we're no closer to answering any questions about Curry's legacy. Again, because we live in a fantasy world where we make up stories from the past about how none of the stars we grew up with had any help, even though Bill Russell, for example, played alongside literally six Hall of Famers on the 1956-57 Celtics. Stories that sustain us. Would Steph's legacy have been the same if he'd been a Timberwolf, Nick, or account executive at Bear Stearns? Can he be the MVP, win, lose, or rest of finals canceled due to leak and roof? And why is his finals diet pure soup? Does it have anything to do with the curry thing? Only a Pax loaded it up Adam Silver knows for sure. My thanks to Cody Williams and soon-to-be-fired White Sox manager Tony La Russa. See you next Thursday.